experience Dungeons and Dragons like you've never experienced before. So, girls, tell us about Dave. So, tell me Dave's how great I am. a little drunk and all. Feel the tension. You like some chips? They don't have any chips. Feel the excitement. 29 more javelins. You gonna throw another javelin? Well, 29 more. Duh. Epic storytelling. This island, as all the locals know, is the island of Atlantis. And you are not welcome here. And with no swearing or profanity of any kind. Ah, uh, jeez. <laughs> this is... Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters. Find out more at DungeonsDragonsDaughters.Podbean.com, your favorite podcast service or preferred social site. We're also on YouTube. Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Find out more at www.blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master. The most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master John. And I'm your other host, Dungeon Master Mitch. And today, we are returning to our Bringing the Magic of Magic to D&D episodes with our second Monsters of the Multiverse. We, of course, have our guest, Hashtag Magic Mark, most frequent guest, as he likes to always point out. And today we're talking about the Sultari and the Praetors. So get ready for that. That's all coming up. But John, before we get into the meat, we have some five-star reviews. Our first five-star review comes from BomberKid90, and it's entitled, Fascinating and Inspiring. Truly a podcast for anyone who loves creating stories. Since listening, I've stopped dismissing ideas as too daunting to flesh out and tackled them head on with some extremely practical advice. Thank you so much, BomberKid90. Yes, thank you so much. We appreciate that review. Our next one comes from Vladimir Teeps and is entitled, Wow, Just Wow, Five Stars. Took me a while to find this podcast, and when I did, I binge listened until I was completely caught up. This podcast is so helpful in so many ways, it's impossible to list them all here. I've been DMing since I started in the mid-80s, and I believe any level of DM can get a lot from this podcast. I have been listening to Dungeon Master's Mitch, Dungeon Master Chris, so sorry he had to leave, and all the others that have come after them. That's you, DM John. You can get great advice for every part of your game, including your players and having a nice, friendly atmosphere. I am looking forward to many more episodes chock full of tips, tricks, and helpful hints, as well as DM weightlifting that I can listen to in the future. Thanks, guys. You helped me with things I didn't even know I needed help with. And thank you, Vladimir Teeps. Very much appreciate that awesome review. Our next one is from Jin42, and it's entitled, All the Way Around the World! Exclamation point. Five stars. This podcast is amazing. I am living in nor what? I am living in northern Thailand, and as a first-time DM, it is a little difficult to get good resources for D&D here. But this podcast has been a real inspiration for me, all the way on the other side of the world. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jin42. Have fun DMing in Thailand. That sounds amazing. And with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. Welcome to another segment of The Meat. We are, as we said in our intro, back with our Bringing the Magic of Magic to D&D series. And we're talking about two more monsters of the multiverse today, the Sultari and the Praetors. So... We're talking about magic, the gathering, bringing into D&D. So welcome back, Hashtag Magic Mark. Hey, everyone. Hashtag Magic Mark, who's the most frequent guest on this show? Um, I believe, <laughs> unless it's changed recently, <laughs> this guy. Okay, you just pointed to yourself. Podcast listeners can't see that, but... Some of them might be able to. 
those some of them might be able to those with the uh, the special superpower the ability to actually see audio <laughs> can tell what just happened <laughs> yep all the Jimi hendrixes that are out there listening Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, in this Magic the Gathering series episode, we're going to look at two more monsters of the multiverse that is Magic the Gathering, starting with the Sultari. So let's talk about the Sultari. What are the Sultari? White creatures in Magic, and pretty much they're like these ghost-like shadowy creatures trapped in between planes. Yeah, they're like the spirits of what used to be the Sultari. So now the Sultari are just spirits. But like you said, they're they're trapped in between the plane of Dominaria, which is their homeworld, and Wrath, which is this artificial plane. And they're trapped in this place called the Shadows, which, like you said, John, is like this extra planar space in between those two planes. The shadows where they live kind of reminds me of how the Eldrazi also live in between the planes, but I don't think it's called the shadows for them. It's just that they live in between planes and they don't live in any one plane. Yeah, the Eldrazi live in like what's called the blind eternities, which is basically this, their equivalent of space in magic. So it's all the space in between all of the planes. And then I feel like the Praetor, or not the Praetors, the Sultari exist in the space between these two particular planes. So if we're taking the analogy, the Eldrazi live in all of space, dark space, deep space, all that kind of stuff. Whereas these two live between Earth and Mars, for lack of a better analogy. <laughs> Maybe more like Earth and the moon, because they can interact with both. So they're in this particular chunk of the space. And that's where they're specifically the thing that makes the Sultari cool in Magic the Gathering is their shadow ability, which in Magic means that they can only block and be blocked by other creatures with shadow. So it gives in D&D terms like they're incorporeal and they're on a different plane, like the extra planar plane. And with that, they can only affect creatures on that plane that are with them. I think in the lore, it specifically says they are unable to communicate and they do find ways to do that. But in general, like that was the problem is that they're trapped in between these planes. And so they can see, which is kind of cool, but they can see into both planes of existence, but they're outside of those worlds. So they're unable to affect those worlds. Yeah, it's very similar in D&D terms to like a ghost because yeah. they exist in the ethereal plane and they interact with both, but they're mostly ethereal. And I think the interesting aspect of these is if, if you run into a ghost, you just go, I hang out in the ethereal plane and I can interact with the ghost. Whereas these might be, you see them in the material and the ethereal and they're both like a ghost no matter what. So they're kind of in that in between. So when you go to like interact with them, you still can't quite get to where they are. Although the difference being that with a D&D ghost, they can communicate. They can disappear and not have any interactions with you, but they can also show themselves, reveal themselves, and communicate with the living. Whereas the Sultari typically cannot do this. I imagine lots of interactions of your players coming around a corner in a dungeon and you see like footsteps just going away just around the next corner and you never quite catch up to where they are. And then when you finally do, it's just like this almost hollow person that's trying to speak to you and you see the mouth moving, but you hear no words. And then maybe your wizard's like, I go into the ethereal plane because I'm going to try and interact there. And it's you can de describe the same thing exactly the way it was all over again. So there's these these moments that you can provide where it's like multiple layers of mystery. And maybe your whole quest is figuring out how do you get to this in-between space. You could even think of it more like a permanent, large pocket dimension that they're trapped in. So you have to find that one bag of holding that all of them are like inside of. <laughs> <laughs> the shadows is in a bag of holding. <laughs> Or other source of pocket dimensions, you know. I do like that idea that there are signs that they are there, but maybe they, unlike ghosts, they cannot reveal themselves and communicate. But the way that you brought it up, Mark, I think of those paranormal shows yep. where people like ghost hunters and stuff, and you don't see a ghost, but they hear like the creaking of a door or something happens that they're like, oh, this is strange. I can't quite explain that. And I mean, I can explain it. It's somebody off screen throwing the uh, 
<laughs> throwing uh, the vase down onto the ground. No, but... Mitch, it's real. It's real. I've seen it. But I like that idea in a D&D sense that you could be dropping all these hints of this shadows or whatever you would like to call this with these creatures, the Sultari, and they are like, they're seeing you and little things that they do might actually affect the environment, but they cannot reveal or communicate to you directly. Yeah, I do really think that the best way to put these into a D&D setting is similar to, for lack of a better way of putting it, real world ghosts. I put air quotes up, but again, you guys can't see that. But these like real world ghosts, whereas like in D&D, there's a ghost, you see it, you interact with it. It's it's more present than what real life ghosts are like, where, you know, there's little hints of them here and there and there's mysterious actions, but you never quite, you know, see that Ghostbusters shadowy figure just up in your face or whatever it's doing. Are you saying you don't hang out with the ghosts in your house? Uh, no, as far as I know. They don't watch TV with you? Yeah, I mean, they might watch TV with me, but I mean, how interactive are you when you're watching TV? Are you saying that the ghosts do watch TV with you, John? <laughs> yeah, they have the best comments. <laughs> So one thing that I'm wondering how you guys, I, th I brought it up a little bit at the beginning, but I'd like to hear what you guys think about this. So the Sultari are thrown into this shadows by some cataclysmic event and they're then trapped there and it describes them as spirit like creatures. So my question to you guys is like, do you take this in the lore? And if you were to bring the Sultari into your D&D worlds, are they spirits? Are they dead? Or are they still, like, alive? Will the Sultari still have lifespans that they eventually will die? Like, it's just that they are spirit-like because they're in this spirit-like plane of existence, but they're still living creatures. Or is this literally their souls that are trapped there? If I were going to put these in a D&D &D setting, I would make them echoes of a recently destroyed plane. So you have this plane of existence that's absolutely gone, and... The destruction of this plane, however it happened, kind of sent these souls screaming at the plane that your players are on. And you see these echoes that may or may not be able to interact with you at all, but it's just kind of like little flashes of living things that are no more. Almost like if you see the explosion happening, the souls kind of like expand out. and Maybe they just blip through your plane and then they're gone. So if you're not in the right place at the right time, there's no sign of them. Or you can make it this big event for your world where all of a sudden, like for a week, ghost-like things are happening all all over everywhere and then after that week's over you're like they're gone you can kind of play around with that kind of whole mysterious thing and maybe that's a whole campaign investigating why did these happen and where do they come from and how do we find it out i like the idea of every time you travel between a certain two planes you see these guys in the midst of traveling in between sometimes you feel like somebody grabbing you while you're traveling Ooh. or like you remember hearing a voice if you ever like had goggles in a pool and like looked so that you could see underwater and above water at the same time? Yes. Oh yeah. So right when you hit that moment in between the planes, you just see these guys like standing in both spots. Like you see like their perfect reflection like on both planes. So you'd be like looking at them and also looking at them cuz they exist in both and they like as soon as you got all the way into the ethereal plane, they disappear or as soon as you went all the way back, they disappear again. But while you're channeling like, if you're a wizard or your wizard is bringing you, you would see these guys and be like, what the heck was that? Like, that wasn't a ghost. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I imagine that this is like a, a wizard or sorcerer or warlock where like some sort of magic class is using the ability to plane walk and they are going into a different plane of existence. And you as the DM can add this kind of lore into your world that there are these Sultari people. I mean, this this is something that starts a side quest, like you said, John. Like, it, it's not something, it's not the focus. It's not what the players are there focused on doing. But you give them this because this is a big thing thing that just happens and you know it, it'd be great to hear the lore that gets created in your worlds the homebrew worlds because of the experience that wizards have doing this like they can never get to this plane of existence but in every time they jump from different plane to different plane they're seeing a glimpse of this for just this brief moment and they call them like planar ghosts or whatever they would come up with this name of it's the Sultari people who are trapped in this realm that's in between and I imagine just there are going to be like wizards and sorcerers and scientists that are going to like put their entire lives into studying 
this strange phenomenon and like is this real is this like mark you were saying like remnants of like an old plane like is it just like a it's like you're watching a a, a tv program rather than it is like something real but they're going to be putting their research into it and maybe they come up with the wrong theory and say oh this is just a, a mirror of history whereas no it's these sultari people who are trapped there one out need help getting out but how do you get there yeah you even have like classes that aren't traditional magic users like the monk with shadow step and the whatever subclass it is yeah that you can give them that brief moment of like seeing every time you teleport regardless of what the source of power that teleports you you feel a tug at your cloak as you enter and exit and as a player if you as the dm say you describe that experience and they're just trying to like get away from a battle or whatever and you just describe that experience to them they're gonna stare at you and be like what <laughs> can i get more information and you're like no i'm just describing to you what you what you experience <laughs> like like you want more information like okay role play it out figure out how you're gonna find more information but i'm just describing to you how this spell like takes effect so <laughs> but they're gonna want more and they're gonna be interested this whole race is just a tease for t- <laughs> for play it really is this thing happened can you tell me more but no, really, but really, this is this is something that could be brilliant as like you could go into it with like whenever somebody is traveling to a different plane where they get this glimpse or like you said, Mark, they're shadow walking or whatever. They get this glimpse and you could like for three campaigns just be like the only time I'm going to ever bring this up is when this is happening. But then later down the line, you can have a campaign centered on the Sultari freeing them being them creating them whatever you decide that campaign is you could play a a campaign where you are the sultari people and the end of the campaign is getting thrown into the shadows and then another campaign you're not the sultari people but you're working on freeing the sultari this is like a big payoff if you if you plant those seeds like john's saying where you're like giving them glimpses that's a bigger payoff when you finally do decide this is the campaign we explore this in that being said obviously you have to hope like you have to hope that your wizard uses plane shift (laughs) you have to hope your monk uses shadow step and you have to be on top of it and remember at that time to give this little bit of info if that is the case yeah you gotta have it on every page of notes like circled and highlighted in the corner if teleport (laughs) then Um, One of the things we didn't discuss is that the Sultari in Magic the Gathering, they eventually get some sort of way of communication. There's one card, Sultari Emissary, that leads to this idea that like spirits, like ghosts, they have, at least some of them have the ability to possess living creatures. And so they are called emissaries. They're living creatures that are able to speak for the Sultari. Now, whether that has to be a willing possession or not, that's kind of up to you. Because maybe this possession, maybe them being trapped, the way that this starts is someone on the material plane has to figure out a way to speak to these creatures. I like to think of like maybe the way that this kind of starts is even if there's like a certain device or there's certain parts of the world where you can see into that shadow place. Like there's a, a well of water that you can kind of see into it or there's just a there's a cut a, a cut open in the air that you can kind of glimpse if you stand at a certain angle, you can see into the shadows. That and the coupling of wizards traveling to different planes, like looking into this, the people on the material plane finally figure out a way to get to that shadow plane of existence and then how do you have that emissary of the sultari come back there's this working out of like i will willingly give my body to be possessed by you so that you can speak for your people every time i think about like possession and stuff regardless of what it's from i always think of that scene from independence day where the thing wraps its tentacle around the guy's face neck and he's like planted up against the glass and doing that like whisper voice that i'm not gonna do right now and so i always that's how i would role play kind of this moment be it on purpose or an accident where maybe your wizard is teleporting and the spell gets dispelled kind of like in the middle and so they get this moment where the Salteri can actually get like enough of a grasp that once the spell is dispelled, so he gets yoinked back to point of origin, all of a sudden he's like messed up and possessed by this thing for however long. And that's how you get your emissary. I also want to throw in, I really like magic gone wrong as a flavor to a story. So like you could have these scientists trying to get in between the planes. So they like try to stop the ritual halfway through. And instead of like getting halfway there, 
half their body gets into the ethereal plane and the other half is chopped off still here. Just the legs just drop to the ground. <laughs> yeah. That's horrifying. You just get like sliced in half, but and they're like, well, now what do we do? <laughs> I like the idea of, you know, starting off like with this this people and here's the thing you're using this as the homebrew in your homebrew world they don't have to be called the siltari use the siltari as from magic the gathering as inspiration to doing something along these lines in your world what if in your homebrew world there was a moment in time where this cataclysmic event whatever you want it to be something magical something divine happens and an entire race in your world just up and disappears the people that remain on the material plane uh, they're left thinking like what happened to this people they just all disappeared up and disappeared the people group who did disappear, they're in this place, the shadow, the in-between, whatever you want to call it, still able to see everything going on on the material plane, but unable to communicate. And how long does that stay that way? Like, is it figured out in their lifetime, or is it like something that continues on for a long, long time, and your world now is just devoid of whatever race it is that that happens with? Yeah, how long is Will Byers on the Upside Down? <laughs> All right, so that's the Sultari. Let's jump into the next monster that we're here to talk about. Maybe describing it as monster is not the correct way to do it because, well, Mark, why don't you introduce us to the Praetors? The Praetors are a pretty unique group of, of creatures. They're from New Phyrexia. Well, I think they're from Phyrexia in general, but mostly New Phyrexia. And they're actually the ruling class. So there's only, I think, Seven that have been published by Magic, but five in this particular five. context. I want to say there are only five true for yeah. Praetors. Yeah. yeah, they used the creature type before, but there's five true Praetors, and they are from Phyrexia, which pretty much everything that's in there once it becomes a new Phyrexia is like this techno organic artifact creature, kind of weird amalgam of both artificial and organic. Yeah. They're living. They have, like, some of them even are humanoid ish, but they have some sort of metallic component to them. They're like machine like in appearance and also in their mindset when you break yeah. down each of them. Yeah. So I think the official terminology, if I remember correctly, is something like the plane of New Phyrexia is nothing but metal, death, and tissue. So it's it's not so much like uh, living things like life as we think of it, but more of uh, almost the organic has been manipulated into making machines more efficient at what they do. So the Praetors themselves are the pinnacle of the leadership, representing the different perspectives within New Phyrexia and like the ruling class. And because magic, there's five of them and one for each color is kind of how they divide them up. I like to think of them as representing the worst of each color, respectively. Yeah. Going through this, I don't know, John, if you had any different thoughts on this, but I didn't read any of these and think I could be on this guy's side. <laughs> it was all like, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. That's worse. I think the the closest one that I was like, OK, he's not com maybe completely just terrible was the red aligned one. Urabrask. I don't know. The blue guy didn't seem so bad. <laughs> all right well i guess agree to disagree <laughs> yeah so typically in magic you think the white one's like the nice one if there's gonna be one it's the white one and the white one's like the militant borg where it's assimilate or die kind of perspective i hate to use a star trek reference but it's unfortunately the best pop culture analogy that we have all the star trek fans are loving it so yeah yeah so they're like the borg the white praetor is like the leader of the borg i guess yeah i i think the positive side that you would describe is that the white praetor which is elish norn she wants unity among all of new phyrexia but it's like like you said it's it's convert or just convert you don't have a choice yeah. it's conform or die yeah. those are your options indoctrinate is her motif so she often goes by the title of praetor of unity so it's not unity in a nice sense that we would all like to get behind <laughs> yeah it's it's the unity where you kind of eliminate all the variables it, it is the worst in white 
for sure, because that's the conform or die kind of aspect where, you know, you've seen plenty of movies where the bad guy's all about, let's make everybody the same and that'll make everything great. And then all of the people working against it are like, let's have feelings and emotions. And, and so she's this big, huge advocate about kind of anti-emotional, which is anti-red in this particular circumstance. Uh, so Jix Gataxius is the Praetor of the blue aligned Phyrexian faction. He's pretty much an evil metal genius that does all these kind of weird experiments like sociopathic experiments on people's minds and tries to mind control people basically. Like of all the Praetors, I feel like in the actual card game magic, all the stuff he does is a little broken. He makes your maximum hand size reduced by seven, so you just can't have cards anymore. Like, he's a blue card, so... Yeah, he's a little busted. Pretty much <laughs> he looks like a worm with all these metal, like two metal appendages and all these metal spikes coming off of him. I don't think they really give a scale of how big he's supposed to be and how big do you know a huge spiky monster is. So basically, Jin Kataxias is all about coming up with every all of life's being like the perfect version it could be. Like no holds barred, through experimentation I can figure out this is the best way everything should be just by seeing the end justifies the means. If this is better than this, then it's better. We can ignore everything we know from the past and use what our data has shown us to be the best. Yeah, it's kind of a progress at any cost mindset yeah. where we do we will do anything to move forward. I mean, here's the thing as we go through this, there are five Praetors one of each different magic, the gathering color. These are in my mind, when we put them into D&D games, taking inspiration from them, you've got five boss crazy creatures here. Five leaders of organizations in your world that want, I mean, they all want one thing, which is total control of the world in some certain type of fashion. And this specific leader is trying to experiment and create the best versions of everything best in his mind, which, yeah, like John said, like there's there's no limits to what you can experiment and do. To me, my question is like, not even a question, I feel like the villainous side of this is that it never, ever stops. They would look at humans, they would look at Captain America and be like, super soldier, let's make everybody a super soldier. Then once everybody's a super soldier, well, what's the super, super soldier? We need to make that next. Okay, we've got those. Now we've, until everybody's like, until you have a world of hulks running around and it's just decimated in chaos, and they're sitting in their like floating fortress above the chaos just looking down to be like my creations <laughs> all right what happens if i mix this hulk with that hulk yes <laughs> it's it's like terrifying experiments i mean experiment for the sake of experiment to create the best thing possible in their mind what is the best thing possible yeah this guy is like the biomancer bad guy who might have like half troll guardians and you know, all those like mixes of different races and different species and monsters. And like, there's no beasts in his lair. It's all monstrosities of some sort of just all this like mess of like, all right, so let's take a lion and an eagle. We got a whole bunch of griffins hanging out, you know, and how, how does he keep on making oh better, gosh. better, better? Stuff? That's a fantastic, like, that's a fantastic idea there. Like this type of boss creature in a D&D world, if you were to find his place, first of all, it would be like a lab. And you would find, th like, this could be the origin of creatures like chimeras, like owl bears. Like, that's a fantastic way to go. I mean, you t look at all the disgusting and terrible, like, beholder types there are. Like, you take the beholder that's a mix of an illithid and a beholder, and it's like, this creature would be the one that would be like, yes, let's mix the power of a beholder and the power of a mind flayer and create this terrifying thing. That's what you're going to find in this place's domain. And he's probably got even crazier ideas. You could even, if you're going world building a mindset, you could be like, all right, my half orcs, they're not half human half orc as like a breeding sense. It's this guy created a new race and it's, they're half human, half orc, but they can't interbreed like like what you think of in a traditional sense. It's yeah. just he made half orcs. Yeah. And now that race exists maybe mostly in a region just outside this guy's lab. And yeah, you could go big or small picture, whatever you want. Well, and to to me, once again, where does it stop? Eventually he's going to take all all the basic seven races and go push them together. And what do you got, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo? You get some gray guy, the Greendale human beings. <laughs> you know what this guy reminds me of? 
What's that, John? You know, you'll probably know this better than me. Who's the doctor in Dragon Ball Z who created the androids and Cell? Oh. I want to say Dr. Moreau, but I know that's not right. Dr. Dr. Zeresh? Yeah, something like that. It's got a Z in there somewhere. I don't know. Go listen to Geek Wars and figure out what, what the real <laughs> name of the doctor is. But yeah, no, that's totally, like, that's a good example. This character, this monster, this creature, this boss, it's this crazy mad scientist to the nth degree where it's trying to change the entire world to be its vision of a better world. Yep. And he's always looking to upgrade. So you might find metal bits strapped to just about everything. So the next one is Shieldred, and Shieldred is the black-colored mana of the Praetors. Shieldred is all about enslaving all of New Phyrexia, so everything will listen to Shieldred, everything will obey Shieldred. This is not a, a unity in the sense of Elish Norn, but this is like, I will take control and be lording over everything. The one thing that I found very interesting about Shieldred is that Shieldred is also a Praetor that knows so much information. She kind of looks like a spider, which gives me the idea of having webs and having spies everywhere so that she can get this information and use it to gain further control, to destroy her enemies. Because once again, we have another Praetor here who ultimately wants control over the entire plane of existence. Yeah, I'd say being black, this is the most classically villainous where domination and total control, where they are on top and nobody else is even close mindset is, is where it's at this is your most classic villain so what i really like about children is that what looks like her body isn't really her body she's actually a snake that comes out of this crazy like spider creature so i like to think that maybe that's how she mainly takes over things is she just like stabs into them like a parasite and then controls their body so you could be fighting her like using her as one of the final bosses and she's riding this crazy monster like some spider-like thing and then you slice her out of it or she leaves the body because the body's about to die and then she just gets into leaves and gets into like a bigger monster <laughs> like worst case a tarasque but like oh god like some some other crazy monster where she just burrows in and takes over its mind and now that's like the bottom half of her body to like fight you guys you slay the creature and a small worm falls out and lands on you make a will save yes. i'm sorry wisdom save we're in five you now <laughs> yeah no that's that's bro i mean this whole idea of enslaving by any means possible mind control certainly being on the table they're they're really when it comes down to all of these praetors Ethics is pretty much out the window. It's not about ethics. When I refer to them as being machine-like in mind, like that's basically what I feel like every one of these agendas is. It's like, no, we need to get to point A. It's not about how we do it. It's just get to point A. All right. So up next, we have Urabrask. He is the red Praetor. He is Urabrask of the Quiet Furnace. And his big thing is he was all about, like, reforging. I picture him as, like, the guy who's always trying to, like, take broken down old stuff and make it new through certain ways. And so his biggest thing is, like, unlike Jix Jataxis, the uh, the blue one from a little while ago, he's all about, that guy's all about progress. This guy's all about, like, kind of making the new model, but still having, like, echoes of what it once was. So I think he's probably more like the let's make a whole bunch of Captain Americas. And then we're good. We're good at Captain America. We don't need to make it better. So his big thing is all about uh, reforging and recrafting into like upgrading and modifying. And he's the guy who wants better gear, not necessarily a better body. He's the one that he seems the least interested in what every one of these other Praetors are doing and just wants to focus on what he's doing. We get this idea that the furnace layer where he's at is below the rest of the surface world. So he's kind of down there doing his own thing, creating his own creations. And he's not really interested in the ridiculous things in his mind that the other Praetors in the surface are doing. Ultimately though, eventually they're going to clash when he expands or when they expand to the furnace layer, like they're going to clash. But yeah, I, I, I mean, yes, I can maybe get alongside of your whole, he would be creating super soldiers and then be good with them. But to me, like, and this is maybe me just placing my thoughts on this this specific Praetor, 
I think that he would want to move away from everything organic and just yeah. be completely metallic and machine-like in every single way. So these would be super soldiers, but they would be artifact creatures 100%. Maybe more going in the DC cyborg direction. Yes. But eventually full robot. And to Ultron, because then we're going back into the better comics. (laughs) So, yeah, I think... He's probably the only one who's willing to like mind their own business out of all of them. There's there's all the like ones that are vying for dominance and he's kind of like I'm fine over here crafting away. He's that one player in the party that's always wants to craft and never leave town. So the next praetor we have is Vornclex and he's the praetor of the vicious swarm. He leads the green Phyrexian faction and pretty much he uses his forces to try and take over at just as everybody else's, but instead of changing everything, he just, the strongest people are all going to consume the weaker people. Vorinclex seeks to achieve Phyrexian perfection by using the plane as one grand arena, subsuming the strong and devouring the weak. So the strong get stronger and the weak get eaten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think of it almost as like this messed up gardener who's like oh that branch is uh dying no use crying about it cut it off (laughs) only the strong will survive and then he takes that branch and he uses it as to make mulch to feed the strong plants it's the the weaker there to feed the strong that's all it is and through this we'll create the strongest phyrexia there is yeah very much survival of the fittest very green so it fits the the flavor of the color I've been playing a lot of Far Cry 5. I don't know if either of you guys have dipped into that. But there's one antagonist whose tagline is Call the Herd. So he's all about, you know, eliminating the weak, calling the herd, and so that we are now stronger at the end of it. It's very much a those who are strong will survive and those who are weak don't deserve to. Yeah, in a D&D game, I would imagine this monster or villain just, they want every single city to be fortified, to be a place where their defenses and their offenses are strong. There's no use for a a weak citizen that's there only to be protected by the strong soldiers. Everyone better protect themselves and be able to be put into the fight at any time. Everyone and everything must be strong always. He's also the most organic looking still. Like he's still flesh and blood mostly. Absolutely, yeah. It's like he's got steel on him like steel metal plating but yeah more organic it's like armor almost and metal claws like wolverine rather than his whole body is metal like with a spinal cord yeah and uh, i think he's a lot of like he might be that bad guy that your party fights through like waves of increasingly difficult enemies and then you get to him and he's like great job you want to be my new bodyguard team you want to work for me because you're clearly better than the guys i had um not and like not feeling anything about losing those who he had because he's always looking for the next strongest thing. So if your party is the next strongest thing, he's looking to upgrade, but he's also looking to challenge you. So he knows he has the strongest. So he might be like, "All right, now that you fought all my stuff, you, I'm going to be your new quest giver." <laughs> Unless you guys have an issue with that as a party kind of thing. <laughs> um, so it might create some interesting moral quandaries. Are you okay with being the one that's willing to call the herd and stuff like that? I feel like most of the bosses would just try and recruit you based on what we said. <laughs> like You beat everything else, you get them to like, all right, well, you're clearly the most advanced. You could work for me, the blue guy. I guess the uh, one who leads the swamp people, the black color, she would try and take over your body. But So here's, here's my question. We've talked about the Praetors. So my question is, how would you guys bring them into a D&D homebrew world? How would you either use the Praetors themselves or be inspired by them to create five different creatures with these different goals, with these different mindsets, with these different philosophies? I think I would use them a lot as like a skeleton to build maybe like a group of factions within a city or a continent, however you want to scale it, um, where they each represent kind of like their moral perspectives and use that kind of to build the skeleton around an organization and you have an individual that may or may not be exactly like what's in the picture as like the head of the organization but then you kind of use these bullet points of like what they value 
as a way to kind of craft how that group would work within a city with this kind of struggling dynamic of each one wants to be in charge and each one wants to rule and maybe even not all of them are ruling maybe there's like an actual king involved that's almost oblivious to this secret underworld that's having a huge tug of war underneath his city they all also seem like they would be lawful evil creatures rather than chaotic or neutral evil yeah and i feel like i i find it difficult to throw that in to a lot of campaigns so you could have like you could still even if you're playing with all good players like interact with if these are nations or groups in the in a city or however it's set up you could still interact with them like civilly because they're following all the laws and things and say you needed to go up against uh, the blue faction but you could get help from the white and the red and the green factions just by trading with them or asking for hints and they want to get rid of the blue faction as well so you could play things off against each other even without having to make your characters be evil aligned you know what i mean I think that's part of the therein lies their weakness is that they operate like machines, well-oiled machines. So you can figure out how that machine works and how to break that machine in certain ways. They can be in, in my mind, the most merciless of villains and creatures because it's not about mercy. It's not about emotions. It's about do this and get it done. But if you can figure out ways to throw a wrench in the gear you might be able to topple the whole machine. I like the idea of them each coming from, rather than being a one plane vying for control of the plane itself, I like the idea that each one of these creatures can be inspired to create a leader of five different planes of existence where it's like they've already 100% controlled. And like if you were to plane shift to one of those planes, after you see the ghost people, the Sultari, along the way, you're going to go to a plane that is all enslaved by this one Praetor. Or it is all under this hive mind and this unity. Or it's this crazy whack plane where all the creatures are like constantly being experimented on and created into like these mashed hybrids and these really strong, really powerful creatures. And you can almost like start a campaign by having something like breaks the barrier between your world and one of their worlds or something breaks the barrier at like five different points in your homebrew world that at each point these planes are coming in there. Now it's time to expand. They haven't been expanding for like millennia because they've had full control of their plane, but now doors have been opened and now you have a five way battle. How do you close these doors? How do you close these gates and stop any of these groups from winning and taking over your plane, your homebrew world? Yeah, your plane becomes the battlefield for their war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't even, maybe they are 100% aware of each other, although they don't interact with each other. And they just see your world full of living people as just the in-between that they have to get to, to get through, to get to the other places. Because now finally, maybe that's it. They're not even interested in your world, except that it's like a highway into these other planes that they are like, finally, I can expand and I can go into these other planes that we've known about, but we've been closed off to for thousands of years. All right. So it's an ancient adventuring party of five each with different moral values, and they they get to the culmination of their campaign, and they all go their separate ways, each to a unique plane, and then they all come back millennia later, having conquered those respective planes, and now they're here to fight. Mm. They're all immortal yeah. and just hold on to grudges from that one adventure yeah. for thousands of you years. You stole my great axe. I mean, I would <laughs> want to be careful with this because... If, you know, if you're doing it in this way, I'd want the players that I'd be playing with to enjoy it and not be like, I don't think that's what would happen. But Mark, we've talked about cameos of old PCs bringing them in. If I was 100% sure that like A, or even just talk to like you about a PC that you've played in my world and said, hey, I'd like to use this PC and like say that like at the end of his life, he went to this other plane of existence and started to create, 
his own plane of existence because he became so powerful, whatever, you know, in this campaign, they were given godlike powers. And so you can have this, this PC return thousands of years later to a world that has long forgotten them. But it's this little like moment where the players are like, oh my gosh, Mark, your PC is terrible now. Like he, he's like, he was a lawful jerk. And now he's like a lawful tyrant that's controlling the whole plane. And now he's coming like, but it's like over the, whatever he tapped into some magic or something got a hold of him that like amplified everything in his being. And now he's just a monster, a terrifying creature that wants control in his own way. Yeah. You could even craft like a, a prequel one shot and have your players all play with the intent of like even going into the story of like, I know that you guys are going to come into the next one. Like John Quinn, you played in one of my first D and D campaigns. You played Eldragaz the wizard. Eldragaz would a hundred percent in my mind. And I, but like, that's the thing I'd want to make sure you were happy with it and you're smiling. So I think you'd be okay with it. But Eldragaz was just this like chaotic, like I could see him being that experimental tyrant taking thousands of years to get him there but like he like eventually just becomes this thing that's wanting to experiment on everything just for the sake of experimentation sounds Sounds pretty close to correct Well, hashtag Magic Mark, thanks again for joining us on a Magic the Gathering episode. Yeah, uh, thanks we, for having us. Yeah, of course, always. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, uh, talk D&D, Magic the Gathering, talk anything geeky that you enjoy, uh, where can they get in touch with you at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at real underscore Ricks, R-I-X. I'm moderately active on Twitter, probably not the most active, but I'm not like dead. I get the notifications on my phone. I'm not like dead. <laughs> yeah. I think last week I found out I had like 120 some notifications. Most of those were just Twitter saying these people said stuff. So I check my Twitter on occasion and then you can always email the DMs block and Mitch can forward that on to me. And yeah, I see him fairly often so well with that let's head to the mailbag of holding but they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis it's all they're talking about up there that right there is the mail now let's talk about the mail can we talk about the mail please mac i'm dying to talk about the mail with you all day okay so today on the mailbag i have an email from dm vegas and dm vegas says some of the players have started wanting to multi-class, and he's okay with that but he thinks there should be a reason to multi-class he gives an example that if someone wants to become a wizard or a warlock, they should somehow acquire a spellbook or make a pact with some almighty being before taking a level in that class. He doesn't want to restrict his players, but a wizard needs a spellbook. And he wants to hear what we what we think. Well, I think that is an awesome idea. I think that if, as the DM, if you want to just add more flavor to your game, really, you should get your players to roleplay out things they want to do before they do them. Uh... I guess that's a little too simplified, but if they want to become a wizard in the game, they should be talking about that. They should somehow be acting like, you know, I'm a fighter right now. I I love going around and killing people with my sword, but man, ever since I was a little kid, I've always I've always wanted to shoot fireballs at my enemies. Back on the farm when I was hashing and slashing, I would hear stories about great and powerful wizards and sorcerers and Man, I trained with a sword, but I wish I had met a wizard to teach me wizard stuff. And then maybe in the game you go find somebody who can give him a spell book or teach him some spells or maybe find a super powerful, ethereal, any kind of being and he becomes a warlock and somehow goes on to multi-class. Now he's a fighter with some wizard spells. I had a player in one of my games who was a wizard and found this really cool item that was a... Uh, It turned into a celestial piano when he used it. So he decided because he thought it was so cool that now he had this piano that he was going to multi-class in Bard. And he, so then when he leveled up, he took a level in Bard and learned to play this piano and it made total sense. I also think you should tell your players this. Like if you tell them that maybe their character has to have a reason to want to multi-class, they can't just be a fighter who's going around playing as a fighter and now all of a sudden has wizard levels out of nowhere. Like, there's no... I guess there's no, not really any rules against that, but you're the DM. You are all the rules. 
you don't even need the books. You could play Dungeons and Dragons without any dungeons, without any dragons, without any of the rules. When I play Dungeons and Dragons, it's less like Game of Thrones and more like It's Always Sunny, <laughs> the gang goes to slay a dragon. Like, But maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they are a magic class and they're a wizard or something and they've, or they're a wizard and traveling around with somebody who can use a sword and they get them to teach them to use a sword in multi-class and fighter. If you have a wizard already in your party, wouldn't it make sense for a fighter to learn some wizarding spells from that wizard or a wizard to learn some fighting skills from that fighter? Either or. There's a lot of ways, a lot of different ways I think you could have it make total sense that they, that somebody should be able to multi-class. Uh, when you read books, the main characters are, ne are never really just one of these classes. They're usually a multi-class character. Anytime you see a wizard in book, not at any time, but a lot of times, they've also learned, they're also a sword master, and they can also command armies, and they're, they're also great at all these other random things that it's like, how does one person get to be so good at everything? Especially if you're in a party with, like, a very diverse party, why wouldn't you be able to pick up skills from other people in the party and multi-class by learning from them? Every time you camp, I know a lot of people just skip through, oh, we sleep for the night, all right, you wake up the next day. All those empty hours that you didn't actually get to roleplay, even if, as backfill, if you went and said, oh, during those hours, I would, uh, this person helped me train with a sword, or helped me do this, and maybe you want to go back and roleplay some of them out, some of those moments out back in time, because it's funny to do that and, be, and have them have the wizard try and use a sword against the fighter or something in spar or anything like that I think would make total sense for multi-classing. I hope that helped answer your question and gave you some great ideas. Thank you DM Vegas for writing in. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of bringing the magic of magic to D&D, specifically Monsters of the Multiverse, number two, talking about the Saltari and the Praetors. John, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, Send us an email about Magic the Gathering and their ideas of bringing it into Dungeons & Dragons or just anything to do with Dungeons & Dragons. Where can they reach us at? So you guys can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Dungeonmasterblock, all one word. Also, if you guys like what you're listening to, you like the show, uh, feel free to head over and give us a five-star review on iTunes. It takes couple minutes and we really appreciate it and we'll read it on air just like we did at the beginning of this episode you can follow us on twitter at dms underscore block that's at dms block and you can like our facebook page go both of those places if you want updates about our show we have a patreon member shout out of the week and this week's patreon member shout out goes to nate brooms thank you so much nate brooms nate is a bronze dragon so thank you for your support and we hope that you are enjoying all the rewards uh, that you get from being a bronze dragon the dungeon masters block is a proud member of the block party podcast network you should check out our other shows like the gm showcase geek wars and detentions and dragons and more well that's all we have for you today on the dungeon masters block the place where we come to talk about the dungeon master the most important person in the game the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. That's all, folks. <laughs> and keep on dungeon mastering. Goodbye.